I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's FA Cup third round clash with Oxford United. We'll be discussing uh, Mikel Arteta's preview uh, around that, his preview press conference, I should say. Uh, we'll be talking about the latest uh, from the transfer market as well, because there are a couple of rumours with regards to Arsenal that just won't go away. So is there any movement on any of those two deals? Is there any movement with regards to Mikhailo Mudrik, who Arsenal are said to be very interested in, and Joao Felix, who the Gunners are currently looking into as an option? We'll get into all of that on today's show and we'll take your thoughts and questions from the live chat box. Happy Sunday to everyone. Um, it is a dark, miserable, windy and rainy uh, Sunday here in North London. Um, I, I must admit, I woke up this morning planning to stick the charcoal on, planning to get the barbecue going. And I've just looked out the window and I don't know that I can be bothered. And that's disappointing. Really disappointing. For those of you that follow me on Twitter or on Instagram, you'll know how much I love a good barbecue. I even bought the meat yesterday. I'll have to use it uh, either tomorrow or freeze it. Disappointing. Really, really disappointing. Anyway, uh, that's enough barbecue weather talk. It's the most British thing to do, isn't it? To start off by talking about the weather. I know a lot of people um, say that the weather plays a big part in their mood. It certainly does for me. And to look outside and see this, it's not the greatest start to the day. Um, hope you're all good. I want to say a few hellos. Say hello to Tom, um, who joins us in the live chat. He's uh, somebody who knows quite a bit about Oxford United. I'm glad someone does, because I don't, if I'm being completely honest. He says, Harry, I grew up having a massive soft spot for Oxford as I grew up there. Uh, he says, Oxford played good football and Carl Robinson likes his sides to pass the ball. I think this will suit us. Interesting stuff. We'll get into that in a little bit more detail in just a bit. Big hello to Steve, to Harvey, to Temi, to Riddy, um, who is also with us, to Daniel, who says, good evening, Harry from Singapore. I always enjoy your content and the delivery. Any good news on the transfer front? We'll get into the transfer updates in a bit, I promise you. Uh, big hello to Graham, who joins us, uh, to Amira, to Abdullah, to Matt, uh, to Dez, uh, to Guna Vettel, to Mafia Boss, to Maximus. So many of you with us, as I always say, I'll spend the entire show just saying hello um, if I if I don't stop and draw the line at some point. So uh, we'll come back to uh, you guys and the live chat in just a little bit. want to say... A massive thank you as well to those of you that tuned in uh, to the BBC Sport website yesterday for my uh, commentary of Crystal Palace against Southampton alongside Paul Parker. Um, had a few messages from, from some of you guys, um, some really nice messages. So thank you uh, so, so much. Really, really appreciate it. It was, uh, it was great fun. A little bit nerve-wracking because I've done some for BBC Radio London. I've done um, for various other people and stuff but the BBC Sport website for me is is quite a big deal so I did that little extra bit of research yesterday I, I made sure that I was relaxed and chilled out when I got there and that I had plenty of time to kind of get into the zone weather was shit trains were shit um, nightmare getting down to Selhurst Park even worse getting back uh, but we made it and it was a good day overall so I'm really proud 
uh, of the work that we did. Proud of the job. Thankful for the opportunity and thankful to you guys as well, who, you know, even though it wasn't an Arsenal game and it was nothing that maybe interests you directly, I know a lot of you tuned in to support me. So I'm really, really thankful uh, for that. Um, another really cool part of yesterday, though, was that I got to uh, interview Patrick Vieira post-match. I mean, what a man, what a legend. And uh, for those of you that don't follow me uh, on the various other social media platforms, if you go over to the YouTube community page, hold on, let me zoom in a little bit. There we go. Uh, you'll see that I got to uh, take a little picture as well with my good friend, Patrick Vieira. Um, absolute legend. Such a nice guy. Um really, really cool to talk to, uh, really respectful towards the media. And I know that, look, I know that managers don't set out to be disrespectful uh, to the managers. Uh, uh, I beg your pardon. Managers don't set out to be disrespectful to the media a lot of the time, but often you get them post a match where they're disappointed, they're frustrated, and sometimes their emotions get the better of them. Sometimes they can be a little bit prickly, a little bit hostile, I guess, is a word you could use. Patrick Vieira was none of that. He was none of that whatsoever. He was so uh, calm, calculated. You know, he said that he wasn't going to panic about what was going on at Crystal Palace at the moment. Yes, having come back from the World Cup, it's not been great. And there's been, you know, some disappointing results, especially at home. But, you know, he believes in what he's doing there. He believes in the team. Uh, he believes in um, in the project that he's working on. And I'm sure they'll be back. They've got a couple of really difficult games coming up uh, against Chelsea and Newcastle. So they're not likely to take maximum points from those, but never say never. And after that, they can hopefully start moving forward and looking forward. I've got a soft spot for Crystal Palace. Always have had because when I was first born, I lived um, very close to the football club in terms of the area geographically. Um, and at times when my dad was busy working and, and couldn't take me to football, a friend of mine, a very close friend of mine at the time from school, him and his dad were season ticket holders and they'd sometimes take me along. Um, obviously, I'd never put it above Arsenal or anything like that. But if you weren't doing anything on a Saturday afternoon and Palace were playing at home, then why not? And that kind of affiliation with Crystal Palace, that sort of soft spot for Crystal Palace has only developed further following uh, Patrick Vieira's appointment there. Top guy. A lot of people uh, saying, Patrick Vieira, why isn't he smiling and all of that jazz? Why would he? Um, you know, the last thing Patrick Vieira wants is a picture to go up of him all smiles after Crystal Palace have just been beaten. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where it is. That's where we are. And that's probably, um, well, maybe he just didn't want to take a picture of me. Maybe there was that as well. But he was really open and, and friendly and, and happy to chat. So I don't think it was that. I hope it wasn't that. But anyway, um, what else have we got? Uh, James Bond says, Harry, will you be doing a watch along? for the Oxford United game. I won't be because I'll be there. Um, I'll be at the Kassam Stadium. I'm going down there uh, to cover the game for BBC Radio London. Um, it's not going to be a uh, a commentary or, or updates during the game, but there is a, a BBC London sports show that runs uh, between 6pm and 8pm. And I'll be uh, coming into the program and I'll be giving some um, some uh, updates from the Kassam Stadium, helping the guys preview the game, build up to the game. So if you fancy it, BBC Radio London, you can access it via BBC Sounds as well. So between six and eight, I'll be into Aaron Paul's show uh, from the Kassam Stadium, uh, helping with the build up. So I'm going to be there, but obviously can't do a watch along uh, from the game. Uh, what else have we got in the chat? Um, 
Tom says uh, Oxford don't have a stand behind one of the goals, so our shooting needs to be on point. Otherwise, a few cars are getting smashed. I hope not, because I'm parking in some sort of car park right next to the stadium. I hope my car doesn't get smashed. Uh, Tom also says, Harry, take warm clothes, mate. The Kassam is like a wind tunnel. Oh, great. Great. Uh, you know what? Over the last few weeks, I have frozen my ass off at so many places. Um, I've got the thermals out. I've got the flask with me. I'm going to go well equipped. That is for sure. Look, on this edition, normally when we build up to a game and we preview a game, we talk a little bit about the opponent and we try to kind of look at tactically what they might do and tactically where we think they may cause us problems and where potentially we could exploit some of their shortcomings. We did that ahead of the Newcastle game. I thought we did that in a lot of detail. We talked about some key areas and key battles in the match. I can't do that for Oxford United. You know, I'd be lying if I said that I, I know an awful lot about them. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to be disrespectful um, to uh, to Oxford United by saying, by, by looking at their league position, which isn't very healthy if we're being honest. You know, they're sitting 15th in Football League One. Um, they've got 29 points on the board. Uh, they've played 24, won seven, drawn eight, lost nine. They've scored 29 goals, which suggests they don't score a lot of goals. 29 in 24 games is not an awful lot. They concede more than a goal a game uh, with 27 goals conceded. Their goal difference is just plus two. In their last uh, five games, they've won one, drawn two and lost two in the league. So you could look at that and you could draw conclusions from it. You could look at that and say, well, that means Oxford United should be a pushover. We should be able to roll them over very, very easily etc etc but we all know that football doesn't work like that now I know they're towards the top of the division but Sheffield Wednesday who are in the same division obviously knocked Newcastle United out of the FA Cup yesterday I can't say I didn't enjoy that if I'm being honest and I have to say uh, I enjoyed Martin Keown saying uh, something about Sheffield United what did he say he said something along the lines of in his co-commentary uh, Sheffield United Sheffield United, what am I talking about? That would offend them, wouldn't it? Sheffield Wednesday. Um, he, he said Sheffield Wednesday with a bit of gamesmanship, but Newcastle have done plenty of that over the last week. Loved it. Martin Keown, you absolute legend. Uh, fantastic stuff. But yeah, as I was saying, you know, you, you look at the FA Cup third round in particular. People talk about the magic of the cup. Has it gone? We did an episode for our, uh, our patrons, for our premium members on the Another Slice platform the other day where we talked a little bit about uh, the importance of the FA Cup for Arsenal. And maybe that importance for clubs like Arsenal has waned quite a bit over the last few seasons and probably over the last decade. But for the, the clubs in the lower leagues, this is everything. And it's amazing. And you see that magic come through every single time. I told you guys in the build-up to the third round on that piece of content that you will probably get a shock, that you will see something that reminds us of the magic of the FA Cup. You could argue that the Sheffield Wednesday result um, was was one of those bits of magic. You could argue Blackpool's uh, performance against Nottingham Forest was, was something else. Chesterfield uh, nearly dumping West Bromwich Albion out. So there's lots and lots of that stuff that goes on. And so these games, you can't, um, you can't look at them and say they're foregone conclusions. You know that teams like Arsenal as well are going to make a lot of changes. And yes, on paper, you will have players that you feel are good enough to get your side over the line. But when you make wholesale changes, you damage the cohesion. When you make wholesale changes, you damage the rhythm of a side. 
And sometimes that can be enough just to give an opponent a sniff, especially at home, especially in front of their own fans. And you can be, before you know it, in hot water. Arsenal obviously went to Nottingham Forest last time out, last season, who were in the championship and we were beaten. We turned up and we were wearing the uh, the all-white kit for the No More Red campaign, which was a fantastic cause and a fantastic campaign. And it's great to see that Arsenal are doing that again. Um, but there was no more Arsenal, you know, based on the way we played. It was really, really poor. And a lot of people came away from that game disappointed, frustrated. And I understand that. I felt the same. Is the kit a bit of a bad omen? Some people have been saying, I, I think that if you believe in omens, maybe, but I don't. And I believe that actually what Arsenal are doing is is highlighting a really important and worthwhile cause and doing it in a, in a great way and in a powerful way, right? Because for Arsenal to turn up somewhere and not wear red and not wear an away kit or whatever is, you know, it's a big deal. Um, and it does cause a lot of people to talk about it. It does cause a lot of people to highlight it. And that's ultimately when you're trying to, you know, when you're trying to get a message across, it's ultimately what you want, coverage, right? And, and Arsenal making a, a big statement by doing that. But yeah, Oxford United away from home. Yeah, they might be 15th in League One, but it's not going to be easy. I can tell you that now. And when you think about the team that he's probably going to pick, um, you know, that that makes it potentially even more difficult. We'll talk through the team in a minute. Um, what should he do? What will he do? Can he afford to completely change it? I always think with the FA Cup, it's a little bit different because you've got, look, yeah, you you don't want the extra game and you'd rather have the rest. But with the FA Cup, you end up getting um, an entire weekend dedicated to it. So it, it makes it a little bit easier in terms of the, the toll and the effect on the players. It makes it a little bit easier in terms of, you know, they're still going to get a week between that and their next game. Obviously, Arsenal don't play in midweek in the Carabao Cup. So for us, even if we did play some of the, the important players, we'd have an entire week again before the North London derby. Well, just less than that, because obviously we play on Monday and the North London derby's on Sunday. You have a little bit more time and a little bit more leeway, but we'll see what Mikel Arteta is going to do. He might see this as an opportunity to give some of those fringe players a little bit more of an opportunity, um, you know, to give them some game time. To, to kind of keep feeding them that little bit of encouragement that if they do perform, they can force their way into the side. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. Um, we'll talk about the team. Uh, actually, let's do that now. Let's talk about the team now. Uh, sorry, I'm a bit all over the place today. I am absolutely knackered. And I know there are people out there that are much more tired than me and probably don't want to hear it. But yesterday took it out of me. I think I was really, do you know what? I was really nervous and anxious in the build up to it. I don't normally get like that when I'm going to do radio work. I'm normally quite cool, quite calm, quite collected. I normally get there nice and early, get myself a drink, a coffee, whatever, sit down, um, read through my notes a few times, just make sure that I'm not reliant on the paper in front of me, but that most of the facts that I'm going to reel off during the commentary are, are embedded in my mind because I think you can deliver them more naturally that way that, as opposed to just reading off of the page. It's, it's too much to memorize it all, but you know, you, you try and do that. But the night before, I couldn't sleep. I think the fact that it was on the BBC Sport website uh, rather than just sort of geo-blocked in London made it more nervy for me. And um, and then towards the end of the game, uh, when the Spurs game finished and we were still going at Selhurst Park, um, we switched over to DAB. So I had to 
mid-commentary say that we were moving over to DAB and welcome our DAB listeners. And I think it was the last 25 minutes of the game were broadcast on FM as well. So I had to then again welcome uh, those listeners, but we were also on the Crystal Palace website live and we were putting updates into BBC Radio London Digital before we switched over to that. So mid-commentary, I'd have to say to the listeners, um, bear with us a moment. We're going to be updating our listeners on BBC Radio London Digital, and then I'd have to drop an update, the kind of update that I'd normally have time to prepare for if I was just doing reports in the middle of a commentary and you don't have time to prepare for it. So, yeah, it was quite a lot. And um, it's a, it was a great experience, great learning curve. I think I did okay. And uh, yeah, we move on. But anyway, I digress. But I'm just trying to explain to you guys why I'm a little bit all over the place today, why I'm a little bit tired, why I'm a little bit... I, I think I look pale. I think I look terrible today. I feel it as well. My back's hurting. Oh, just getting old, guys. Getting old. Nobody wants to listen to me. Right? Anyway, let's talk about the team. What's Mikel Arteta going to go with? I'm going to write this out on the page in front of me um, as we talk through it, because I think this is going to be quite a difficult one to try and predict. I'll tell you what I would go with. So I'd go with Matt Turner in goal. Um, I think he had a decent World Cup, Matt Turner, from what I saw of him. And I think he deserves opportunities in this competition, at least at this stage. I'd argue that if you get to the latter stages, maybe you want to go that little bit stronger. And I think that as good as Matt Turner is as a goalkeeper, he he brings different things to Aaron Ramsdale. And I think, although some argue that's not a bad thing, what Aaron Ramsdale brings is actually very, very important to our build-up. So Ramsdale's clearly the number one, but I think um, Turner can do a job at Oxford and I think he he deserves uh, probably to to start. Uh, I'd go Tierney at left-back. Obviously, Zinchenko's back in the picture now and he's clearly Mikel Arteta's uh, number one choice. So I'd go Tierney at left-back. I'd go a centre-back. I think one of Gabriel or Saliba's got to play. Um, because I can't see what else we do unless you put Tomiyasu and White at centre-back and then play with Cedric at right-back. Cedric, who could well be on his way um, on his way out this transfer window. I think that's a little bit too risky. And I think that Mikel Arteta will want to have one of his two regular centre-backs playing. Now, remember, Saliba obviously went to the World Cup, has come back, hasn't quite looked at his best, in my opinion. But the only way he gets back to that, I think, is by playing. So I'm going to go with uh, Saliba at centre-back. I'm going to give Gabriel a break. And I'm going to go Saliba uh, at centre-back. I'm going to go Holding um, as well alongside him. Again, not a player I particularly rate, but a player that you know I think we could get away with uh, in this game. And then I'm going to go Tommy Asu at right-back. So my back four to confirm is... Tierney at left back, Tomiyasu at right back, and then I'll go holding Saliba at centre backs and Turner as the goalkeeper. Moving into midfield, I'm going to go with El Neni at the foot of the midfield. I'm going to go with Lokonga and I'm going to go with Xhaka. I think you need Xhaka's stability in there. I think we really, really do. I think if you change all three, we look really, really light. Uh, and I think we have a bit of a problem there. So I'm going to go Elneny, Lokonga and Xhaka in midfield. Not the most creative midfield, you know, granted, but that's what I'm going to go with. If we then take it onto the forward positions, I think this is where we have the problems now. I think I'm going to go Fabio Vieira on the right. I think he can give us 
you know, that that bit of spark, albeit from the right-hand side, he'll have to drift in field, but I'm sure he will do that uh, anyway. So I'm going to go with uh, Fabio Vieira on the right. Do we have an option but to play Eddie Nketiah? I think we have to play him. I know if we lose him, we're up shit street, but who else comes in at centre-forward, um, you know, for this game? Normally it would be Nketiah. He would be the man that Mikel Arteta slots in. Oh, um, I've got to think about this. Uh, you know what, Nketiah it is. And if he's fit enough, if he's fit enough, I would go with, I would go with Smith Rowe on the left. Because I think playing from the left-hand side, he'll be given the sort of license to get forward and do what he wants to do and, and do all that side of it. But there won't be too much demanded of him from a defensive perspective, as there would be if he was one of the eights. Now, Mikel Arteta was asked about his um, his position. He was asked about where he will play. I think it was Tom that asked the question, Tom Cantor from the Guna Talk TV. I couldn't hear it very clearly, but I think it might have been Tom who asked the question, where, where are we looking at Smith Rowe sort of positionally when he does return? Because obviously we've seen Xhaka's role, the left eight role, develop and become a much more advanced role than it was in the past. Does that now mean that Emil Smith-Rowe can play there? And uh, and this is what Mikel Arteta had to say. He said he can play as a D, uh, as an AM, I beg your pardon, a winger or as a nine. But first of all, we need him back fit. He's a brilliant player that we've missed. And if he trains well, hopefully he'll be able to give us something in the game. Will he start? I don't know if that's a little bit too far for him to go. I don't know if that's a little bit too far to push him on his return. But I guess what's the alternative? Is Marquinhos... Is he good enough? It's a weird one with Marquinhos because when he first came in, I I really liked him. And I thought, yeah, do you know what? This guy has got some real potential. And I think that actually he's probably a little bit better and a little bit more. What's the word? Um, More progressed. He's a little bit further along his development line, shall we say, than maybe I imagined him being when we brought him in it's a hard one. You know, does someone like Butler or your Daisy get a look in from the start? I'm not sure. I think you probably, if, if, if Emil Smith-Rowe is not fit enough to, to play from the start, I think you've got to go Marquinhos on the right and Vieira on the left with Nketiah up front. But that team, it does look quite weak. You know, it does. And as I keep saying, it's the FA Cup and you never know. And it will be a team that really lacks cohesion. It will be a team that for me, you know, it's going to need some time to kind of uh, to click, you know, albeit against a weaker opponent. It's it's a risk. It is a big risk. But as I said to you guys on that piece of content, the premium piece of content that I referred to, the FA Cup is just not at the top of our priority list right now. And, you know, Mikel Arteta, I'm sure will want to win it if he can. But I'm sure at this point, he'll just want to do the bare minimum to get through. And I'm sure he'll look at it and and think that, yeah, the North London derby is coming up. Um, okay, this is a weekend dedicated to FA Cup football, but we are playing on the Monday. And so we're at a slight disadvantage in comparison to Spurs. We played at 12.30 on Saturday. So, you know, maybe he'll look at this and think this is the way he has to go. So let me just, uh, let me just run through it again. So let me give you guys my 11 uh, for the game against... Um, against Oxford United. So Matt Turner is my goalkeeper. My defence is made up of Tommy Asu at right back, Tierney at left back, Holding and Saliba are my centre-backs. 
Moving into midfield, I'm going for Elneny, Lokonga and Xhaka. Now, I understand that that lacks a little bit of creativity. My front three will be Fabio Vieira, Eddie Nketiah and Emil Smith-Rowe if deemed fit enough. If he's not fit enough to start, then I bring Marquinhos in there. I put Vieira over to the left-hand side and I play Marquinhos on the right. But we'll see. We'll see. Really difficult lineup to predict. I've gone with Saliba and Xhaka in there to give the team a little bit of stability. I've gone with Nketiah up front because I don't know who else can play there. Just looking at our options, we are very, very limited. I know there's a massive risk if he gets injured, but it is what it is. You know, we we understand that Arsenal are working very hard behind the scenes to try and get deals done um, in order to kind of help us uh, sort of facilitate these issues that we have at the moment. But we'll come on to that in just a little bit. Just want to talk a little bit more about Mikel Arteta's uh, press conference. He described this match as a good test. He said it will be difficult. He said we have to take the competition and the opponent seriously. He's always going to say that, okay? He's never going to go into any competition, into any match and say, this doesn't matter. He's never going to do that. You're never going to get that from Mikel Arteta. You're never going to get that from any manager, really. Not as blunt and as forthright as that. You're always going to get the, the company line. You know, this is a big tournament. It's an important competition. We want to win everything that we're involved in. We want to go as far as we possibly can in every competition. But what he says and what he thinks are probably, especially in this case, two completely different things. Okay, this competition, if you were to rank our list of priorities at the start of the season, would be third, only above the Carabao Cup, which, you know, is even less prestigious than the FA Cup, which you could argue says it's kind of bottom of the barrel nowadays, given the way the FA Cup has slipped as well. But the FA Cup and Arsenal have a special connection, have a special relationship. Uh, we've won it 14 times, for God's sake. And it will always be a big part of our history as a football club. And it will always have a big role and a big uh, place in our hearts as fans because of how much joy we've had from it over the years, especially in the past where it was much more prestigious and it was much more well thought of. It was much more of a priority. But, you know, at some point, Mikel Arteta is going to have to make a decision and he's going to have to prioritise because, as we keep saying, we don't really have the squad to challenge on three fronts. You know, we're we're in the early stages of January, okay? We're already looking at certain positions and we're bricking it about what might happen in the event that we pick up one more injury. We're all desperate for our club to go out during this window and add reinforcements to help us through that and to take us forward because we all know that, you know, we're on really thin ice at this moment in time. Apologies if you can hear the rain on the window. It's just started tipping it down. Anyway, um, he was asked a very clever question by Tom Canton, I thought. Um, big shout out to Tom. Make sure you check out the Guna Talk TV. He's fantastic at what he does. He's a great friend as well. Um, so do check that out. Oh, my God. What is it? Can you hear it? Can you hear this in the chat? Jesus, these are like hailstones. And I was going to do a barbecue. What a joker. Um, anyway. The question uh, that Tom asked, I thought, was really clever and really smart because Mikel Arteta had indicated earlier on in the press conference, right at the start, when he was asked about uh, Mikhailo Mudrik, that he wasn't going to comment on the player specifically. Um, he was also asked about the FA charge, which I'll come on to share my opinion on in a little bit. And again, you know, he refused to comment on that. So Tom 
you know, was was pretty smart and went, well, there's no point in me asking him directly about Mikhailo Mudrik, but I can ask him an indirect question that might give me some sort of hint and some sort of understanding of where his head's at in on this particular situation. So what Tom said was, you know, is it a concern? I'm paraphrasing now, right? But it was something along the lines of, is it a concern the amount of money that some clubs are spending because then it makes it difficult for us to go and agree fees uh, with clubs for for specific players. And that is a really valid point and valid question because you look at some of the transfers that have been done of late and you think the prices are absolutely nuts. Anthony to Manchester United. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. For in excess of £90 million. Crazy. He's not lived up to that so far. He might go on and improve. In fact, I'm sure he will improve. But will he ever be a £90 million player? Probably not. Um, you know, you look at the talk about Enzo Fernandez right now has been pretty impressive at Benfica, has been a bit of a bright spark in Portuguese football, went to the World Cup, performed quite well, wins the World Cup. And now we're talking about £120 million for him. So there is this thing where the world has gone a little bit nuts in terms of transfers. But now you have clubs like Shakhtar Donetsk who are going, well, hold on a minute. If Anthony went for 90 million and Jack Grealish went for 100 million, we think this kid has the potential to be as good as those players. So why shouldn't we demand that sort of money? Why are we going to sell ourselves short in comparison to to those players that, that I've referenced? But the truth is that Jack Grealish was never worth 100 million. Anthony was never worth 90 million. Um, and and Mikhailo Mudrik is never worth 88 million, as is said to be being demanded by Shakhtar Donetsk. So the problem you have here is that once the market goes crazy, people will look at transactions that have happened in the market involving other clubs and then have an inflated idea of what their player is worth. And that causes problems for the teams trying to buy. And we've got this problem now with Mikhailo Mudrik. Mikel Arteta said, valuations have to be met between selling clubs and buying clubs, and it's difficult. But he kind of hinted that ultimately the cards or the power was in the hands of Mikhailo Mudrik because he says, we have to be attractive for players. At the end of the day, players decide where they play. And if they want to play for our club, well, this is great. Cracked a little smile as well. So I wonder if that was a bit of a hint uh, as to what's going to come uh, with Mikhailo Mudrik, as to whether this is going to happen because Mikhailo Mudrik is going to force it to happen. Arsenal, by all accounts, still remain confident of getting this deal done. Um, the conversation is still ongoing. There's not been a breakdown completely in talks, um, which uh, which is encouraging, I guess. Uh, Chelsea said to be interested in the player as well, as we've told you recently, and still, um, you know, Gonna uh, are still going to be there or thereabouts and sort of waiting in the wings. But as has been reported by most of the credible journalists across this right now, Mikhailo Mudrik's preference is Arsenal. 
And so as long as we can make that agreement with Shakhtar Donetsk, I don't think there's going to be any problem convincing Mikhailo Mudrik that this is the place for him. But yeah, that's where we're at on that. Um, reports coming out of Brazil have also suggested that Arsenal are still looking at Danilo, the Palmeiras midfielder, who David Ornstein said as recently as last month, Arsenal's interest in had cooled off a little bit and then it wasn't a priority for the Gunners anymore. Uh, we're also still hearing about Joao Felix um, and maybe the news that Manchester United are so keen on Valt Veghorst is good news for us because they were one of the other high-profile clubs that are said to be in the mix for Joao Felix at the moment. They're said to have had, I beg your pardon, a loan offer turned down uh, for the Portuguese player so far. But Arsenal still feel they can do this according uh, to some accounts. And Arsenal are still, um, you know, are still pursuing it and talks are due to take place between Arsenal and Atletico Madrid. Also, when you read some of the reports from Spain, there is a real feeling that Diego Simeone is definitely um, wanting to get him out of the door ASAP, that Diego Simeone wants a conclusion uh, drawn to this situation because he wants to be able to go and replace Joao Felix sooner rather than later. It's understood that what Arsenal are looking for is an agreement with around about a £5 million loan fee. Obviously, the club will shoulder uh, Joao Felix's entire wages uh, during that period. But Arsenal also want there to be an option to buy clause inserted that will be set below £70 million. If indeed they do get him in and he impresses, they want to know that they can go and make that deal permanent. Joao Felix is a player with an incredibly high ceiling, incredibly high ceiling. And the reason I say this is less of a risk than Mikhailo Mudrik is because I've seen him, is because I know what we'd be getting in Joao Felix. And that bit of unknown around Mikhailo Mudrik makes me feel reluctant to say it's right for Arsenal to push the boat out that little bit further. Doesn't mean he's not good. It doesn't mean that I don't trust in the club's opinion. It doesn't mean that I don't want him. I just find it hard myself to say, yep, absolutely, let's do this. Um, you know, it, it's right and there isn't any risk involved because he's that good. I can't tell you that. I'd be lying. And I often get accused of going along with the club lines and as someone who uh, rarely wants to go against what the club are doing or what they're saying. And the truth is, that's not what I am at all. When I feel that something is wrong, I will say it and I will call it out. And I feel like going that extra mile on Mikhailo Mudrik, if we were to meet Shakhtar's public demands, I think we'd be we'd be taking an, an almighty gamble and an almighty risk. And I don't know that we can do that. I don't know that we can do that. But anyway, we'll see. So that's the latest around the transfer stuff as well. So just to quickly uh, reiterate, uh, Joao Felix, Arsenal still keen on him. Arsenal due to hold conversations with Atletico Madrid. What the Gunners are said to be entering negotiations looking for is a deal that would see him come in on loan for the remainder of the season for around about £5 million, plus his wages, obviously, and for there to be an option to buy clause included uh, that sits at just below £70 million. Um, and the Mudrik stuff, well, it's as you were. No breakthrough in negotiations just yet. So we're going to have to stay a little bit more patient And uh, that. Uh, John says, are we just due to hold talks? Well, this is what we're being told. These are what reports are telling us. We don't know for sure. 
Um, you know, I'd be lying if I said I did. It is what it is. Like these deals, they take time. And as I've said to you guys before, when you're a selling club, especially, and you look at the date on the calendar, 8th of January, and you know you've got until the end of the window, you are going to still be standing firm. You're still going to be digging your heels in um, in order to try and get the best deal that you possibly can. When the window gets a bit later on in, um, or when you get a little bit later into the window, then people will probably be a little bit more lenient and um, people will probably be a little bit more open to, to sort of coming down with their demands just to, to facilitate the deal that ultimately, if they didn't want to happen, they wouldn't even be in conversations about. So, yeah, let's see. Let's see how that goes. Let's get some of your questions. Let's get some of your thoughts for the last sort of 10 or so minutes of the show. Start chucking them in the chat box and I'll get through as many of those as I possibly can. Let's quickly check in where we're at in terms of likes because there are 500 of you with us live right now, but we've only got 83 likes on the board. Come on. Come on. You're letting me down. We should have at least 250 likes on the board. Um, at the absolute minimum. There are loads of you with us. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you're new as well. Uh, we'll be bringing you some premium content um, post-match uh, from the Kassam Stadium tomorrow night after Arsenal's game against Oxford United. So if you do want to sign up to the Another Slice platform and get access to that, you can do so by visiting anotherslice.com uh, forward slash chronicles of a Guna. You use the create account option in the top right hand side of the page. Create your account. Once you've done that, you can log into it. Subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna for six pounds per month uh, and you will get multiple pieces of premium content per week. Uh, you'll get a post-match uh, reaction pod uh, with some player ratings as well after the game at the Kassam. Um, and uh, and yeah, you'll be able to access that exclusively on the Another Slice platform. Once you are signed up to the website, you can download the app and you can log into the app with your account and you'll have access to that content at your fingertips. Uh, we dropped a couple of pieces of content last week, of premium content, that is. So we did, uh, we did post Newcastle, instant reaction. Um, we did uh, the reporting around Mikel Arteta's conduct is unfair and inconsistent, and we did the importance of the FA Cup to Arsenal. So uh, if you're enjoying the content here on the channel, if you're looking uh, for more, if you're um, wanting to support the show, but also support uh, the Great Ormond Street Children's Hospital, whom uh, we're supporting through uh, through our membership pot, then please do uh, get involved. Check it out. Any questions, any thoughts on it, any issues, email me, chroniclesafc at gmail.com. And I'll help you out as soon as I possibly can. Okay, let's take then some of your questions and some of your thoughts. Um, Diagene says, where does this obsession, let me refresh, let me read it properly. Where does this weird obsession with Mudrik come from? He's not done anything at the highest level. I think people are excited by his potential. I think people are hopeful that he can, you know, really kick on and that, the fact that he seems to be very, very talented, but also seems to really want to be a part of this project that Arsenal gives people hope that he can be a success at the football club. I, I like the idea of Mudrik, okay? I really do. It's just the price that makes me feel uneasy. But as I've said to you guys before, if he comes in and performs, then the price talk, it goes out the window and nobody cares about it. Um, but at this stage, 
of the negotiations at this stage of the process i'm finding it a little bit hard to say yep absolutely um this is you know this is the right thing to be doing let's see let's see uh temi ola says thoughts on patino's performance i love the way he's put the little brazilian uh accent over the uh <laughs> over the end um thoughts on patino's performance i even started to call him patino because you wrote it like that uh, what do i think of his performance at forest yesterday I haven't seen the game. I saw the highlights in which he looked really, really impressive. And it's great to see him doing so well. And uh, hopefully he'll come back to Arsenal a, a bigger, better, stronger player, more experienced player. He needed game time. And um, he has gone over to Blackpool and he's done well and, and impressed. So it's good to see. And uh, I look forward to seeing him back in an Arsenal shirt someday. Uh, Ron Stone says, considering that they're not quite at the top level for the first team, do you think that Marquinhos... Or Lakonga might be sent out on loan, hopefully with stronger players transferred in. Not now. Um, definitely not Lakonga. I don't think we've got enough depth to let Lakonga go. Marquinhos, potentially. I do know from conversations I've had that Arsenal, when they signed Marquinhos, initially planned to loan him out. That was the plan. It was bring this guy in, get him through the door. Let's have a look at him in training. Let's assess where he's at. And the likelihood is that we'll probably send him out on loan to play uh, some football in Europe somewhere where he can become accustomed more to the European game, to the environment, to the lifestyle. And then we will we will bring him back to the football club. It was an investment made with the long term in mind. What happened, again, based on conversations I've had, is that he came into training. He impressed. They were happy with what they saw. They really enjoyed what they saw and decided, actually, he's probably ready to help us right now. And given that Arsenal were unable to bring a winger in in the summer, which obviously they tried to do, um, they, they felt that the best option was to keep hold of Marquinhos until that position could be filled. Now, if Arsenal go and bring in a winger in this window, I wouldn't be surprised to see Marquinhos go out on loan. As for Sambi Lakonga, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know that Arsenal can afford to do that right now. And I, I, I certainly don't know of any plan for them to make that happen. Um, I'm going to take a few more questions, but I just quickly wanted to touch on the FA charge because I totally forgot to talk about that earlier on. What a load of absolute dross and nonsense that is. So what they surrounded the referee, I see teams surround the referees every single week looking for decisions. The reporting around Mikel Arteta's conduct has been nothing short of embarrassing. Uh, as I tweeted earlier on in the week. He appealed for a late penalty against the rival, as any manager in his position would do. No issue. Move on. The officials on the night didn't see any problem with it, and hence why they didn't take any action. Mikel Arteta wasn't sent to the stands or shown a yellow card or anything like that. So why have the media taken such a big issue with Mikel Arteta, but then why have the FA decided to take... Uh, an issue with the appeals around that penalty. I didn't even think they were that bad. I really didn't. Um, and to come out with the charge like that, weird, isn't it? Weird. I don't mind if if it was consistent. I wouldn't mind if, you know, they'd they dished out a number of these this season off the back of similar incidents. But the truth is they haven't. There's been a handful dished out by the FA since the start of the campaign. They said that they were going to take a stronger stance around this stuff, but then apply that consistently. And they haven't. And that's what really, really frustrates me. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a joke, isn't it? It's a bloody joke. And um, 
and it's us against the world again. And you know that Arsenal are back um, and you know that Arsenal are competitive again and you know that Arsenal are ruffling feathers again when this sort of shit happens. Because if you remember during the height of the Arsene Wenger era when Arsenal were at their absolute best, we used to get this crap all the time. You know, you can go back to as far as the early 90s, 1991, when there was that big brawl at Old Trafford. Uh, involving um, Arsenal and Manchester United players and the difference in the punishments dished out to the two clubs. You know, again, why? Because Arsenal were ruffling feathers at the time. It is something that we as a football club have have had to deal with for years and years and years. I'm not surprised by it, but I am disgusted by it. And, um, and I think this is something that has been born out of, more than anybody actually taking an issue with it, this has been born out of poor press coverage. This has been born out of the fact that there are journalists out there who can't think of better things to write about and are not very creative in their ideas and so have decided to make a mountain out of a molehill because the game finished nil-nil and there wasn't an awful lot else to really kind of dive into in terms of big stories. It's poor, but what's even poorer than the, the shit reporting around it is that there are <laughs> there are people in the FA that have clearly been influenced by that reporting and have come to that stupid decision. But anyway, um, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Rudy says, uh, Harry, don't you feel we invest way too much time on these rumors of which not even 1% are true? Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, we probably do spend too much time on this stuff, but you know, it kind of is what it is. It's, it's transfer season. You know, we try and I tend to stay away from transfer talk outside of the windows. I know a lot of people, still do that stuff. You guys would have seen me say, you know, it's, it's trans, it's not the transfer window. I don't really, um, I don't really want to do it. And, uh, and we, we often don't, but during the windows, I think we kind of need to, because it's what's on everybody's mind. Uh, oh, says, Hey, Harry, um, I'm not sure whose hair I rate more. Yours or Mikel Arteta's. <laughs> Mate, mine's looking terrible today. It's terrible. I need a haircut badly. It's gone to the point where like, look, you can see my grays are coming through on the sides um, I can't get it to sit right because of the additional volume on top. Yeah, I need to deal with that this week. I'm sure I will. Thank you, mate. <laughs> uh, Matt says, Harry, why do you think the FA Cup isn't seen as a top trophy anymore by some fans? I don't think this started with the fans, Matt. I think it started with clubs. I think it started with the way that clubs would disrespect it by making wholesale changes, by clearly stating that their priorities were elsewhere, or if not verbally saying it, but by making decisions that suggested it, i.e. picking really weak teams, etc., uh, etc. Et I think um, I think what you've got is, and I said it on that premium bit of content, uh, again, I, I referenced that, but I talked about it then. The value of winning the FA Cup is no longer as significant as it was in the past because financially qualifying for Europe has become more appealing to ownership and to football clubs. And so it's just dropped further down the pecking order until the FA Cup has a pot of gold at the end of it. You're going to see this happen and you're going to see this progressively get worse. I think it's still massively valuable for the teams outside of the Premier League who love it, get to go to big grounds, all of that stuff. And, and for that reason, it should never change because ultimately that is the heartbeat of football and, and you shouldn't take that away. But my suggestion has always been that you should scrap one of the league positions for the Champions League and you should give it to the FA Cup winner because that will make it a more appealing competition to some of the bigger clubs. You know, they'll be looking at it and going, well, you know, 
that's fantastic because it's an alternative way to get into the, the big time, the Champions League where I want to be. That would be an added incentive. The flip side of that is that at the moment you look at the FA Cup and you think there is an opportunity for some of the, shall we say, smaller clubs, your Leicester Cities, et cetera, et cetera, um, to, to go out there and, and win silverware, which is obviously massive for them. Um, but yeah, it's, it's as I say, I, I now the sun's bloody come out and I can't see what I'm doing. Jesus. Um, as I was saying, I think it's not something driven by fans. I think, think it's something driven by money and driven by football clubs that has now filtered through to fans, right? There are fans that are younger than me. So I'm, I'm 32. There are fans younger than me that I know, 15, 16 years old, that think the FA Cup is a pile of shit because they don't remember when the FA Cup was amazing. If you talk to my dad, he'll tell you the FA Cup is just as big as winning the league. And that's going back, you know, sort of another couple of generations. So I think generationally it's changed. And that's ultimately stemmed from the fact that football clubs, ownership, don't take it as seriously as they used to because they, for example, feel that finishing in the Europa League place is more valuable financially than it is winning the FA Cup. And so those European competitions, UEFA have succeeded in devaluing the the domestic cup competitions in order to prop up their own. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to take just two more because um, we are running out of time. Uh, let's see what else we've got in here. Oh, yeah. Also, Henry, just on that FA Cup point, makes a good point. Man United pulled out of the FA Cup, didn't they, when they were in a Club World Cup, which, again, he values the competition. Uh, Sam says, do you think Atletico will be difficult to deal with for the Felix deal after what happened with Partey? Apparently, Atletico were pissed off with us because we paid his release clause at the last minute. So, Atletico can't afford to be pissed off with us about that because they need to get rid of the player. And there are very few clubs in Europe right now that are able to take on Joao Felix's total wage. And that's the truth. He's on a big contract. They signed him for a lot of money. And the situation between he and Diego Simeone, who's taken that club to incredible heights, when you compare where they were prior to his arrival, okay, it's dropped off a little bit now, but they're still in a much healthier position. Was it two Champions League finals? When you, and what, a couple of La Liga titles. When you look at where Atletico were and where they are, you have to say that Diego Simeone's done a fantastic job. And so the loyalty of the club will be with Diego Simeone as opposed to one player. But the situation between he and João Felix, as I say, has become untenable. And so they need to move him on. If they want to sit there and, and be upset and be disappointed by the fact that we triggered his release clause, they're going to lose out on, on some seriously good business and a really good opportunity for them. So I don't think that they'll hold on to that. I think with the Partey thing, Arsenal, you know, had entered negotiations. They tried to get the deal done at lesser money and it wasn't happening. Atletico would not budge. But Atletico always knew that the release clause was there. They always knew that Arsenal could trigger that at any point. And I'm sure... Arsenal tried to do a, a lesser deal earlier and probably used it as a bit of a bargaining chip. The fact that they could do that probably said, well, do you know what? We could trigger the release clause late on in the window, but that would leave you with zero time to replace him. You've got to remember that post the Partey deal, we also 
gave them Lucas Torreira on loan. So the relationship can't have been that bad. The relationship can't be as strained as some people make it out to be. Um, understandably, it wasn't ideal for them to lose Thomas Partey the way they did on deadline day. But business is business. And I don't think that they're silly enough to let previous business cause them a problem moving forward when it is they who are probably more desperate to move Joao Felix on than we are to get him. I, I honestly believe that. The situation with Joao Felix is a mess at Atletico Madrid. And Diego Simeone is said to be, you know, really vocal in the background of this and, and desperate to see it come to some form of conclusion. So, yeah, I don't think that that's going to be a problem. I think it might have been a problem had we tried to do this six months after the Thomas Partey deal. But since then, we've interacted with them. Uh, we've done deals with them. So I don't see it being that big of an issue, if I'm honest. Okay, I'm going to take one more um, before I say goodbye. Uh, do, 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 do. Hold on a second. This is a nice, easy one. There we go. That's cheating a little bit, but Goon says, Felix is coming, right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We're trying. We're trying. Will it get done? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying not to get my hopes up. Oh, I'm trying not to get my hopes up. Because I really want Arsenal to win the league, man. <laughs> like really, really badly. For a multitude of reasons. Obviously, I want to see my club, uh, you know, achieve that. Obviously, I want to see my club do as, as well as they possibly can. But I also want so many of those people that were just so dismissive of the work that Mikel Arteta was doing, so dismissive of our football club, not just our fans, but people outside of the club who were predicting us as finishing seventh, eighth at the start of this Premier League campaign. I would love them to eat their words come the end of the season. And so like I'm 70% spurred on by the want to see my club do well, but there's an extra edge that pushes me Um towards wanting a championship win even more than probably I ever have. And, you know, I've been present when Arsenal won the league before. Obviously, I remember the 97-98 double winning season. I remember the 2001-2002 double winning season, 2003-2004 invincible season, all the FA Cups in between. Um, You know, I remember all that stuff and I lived it and I loved it and I enjoyed it. But you know what? Now I'm working across the club. Now I'm, I'm covering the club. Now I'm at more games than I've ever been at. You know, in the past, I used to go home and away at certain points. But, you know, this season, I've only missed a handful of games, away games. I've been to so many away games, home games, going to the Oxford game on Monday. I'm really lucky that this is my job. And I'm really lucky that I get to kind of share that experience with everybody. But to be able to talk about a championship winning season in that light would be amazing. So um, desperate, desperate for it to happen. I'm desperate for us to return to Champions League action as well, of course. I think we'll do that anyway, hopefully, barring a major disaster. And that'll be amazing as well to welcome some of Europe's biggest clubs, best fans, uh, best players to the Emirates Stadium again. It's long overdue, but to win the league would be fucking amazing. Um, excuse my language. So, uh, please, please. Okay, right. 
Uh, Damien Kelly, hold on. I've I got, I got to address this. Harry, how quickly your narrative has changed. You, of all people, always dismiss the opinion that we could win the league. Now it is I really want us to win. You're a safe, boring edge your bet fan. What? I think you mean hedge your bet. I don't know what edging your bet is. Hedging your bet? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, no, I, I said that Arsenal are not... I've always maintained that Arsenal aren't favourites to win the league, and I still don't think they are favourites to win the league. They could win it. Of course they could. Everybody can win it at the start of the Premier League season, but how you rate their chances will vary. But everybody can win it. I never said we can't win it. I said that we're not the favourites to win it. I don't think we're, we're still even the favourites to win it because I think we're being hunted down by a very, very good Manchester City side. I'm not being safe. I'm being realistic. Because I'm realistic in my assessment of our chances doesn't mean that I don't want us to win it. Not sure where you're getting that from. But anyway. Going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much uh, for tuning in. Don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. We're still not on 200 likes. Come on. Come on. There's so many of you with us. Leave a like. It doesn't cost a thing. What does cost a little bit of a thing is, of course, the Another Slice platform uh, where you'll be able to access our premium content, the next piece of which will be dropping uh, after the full-time whistle at the Kassam Stadium tomorrow night, Oxford United versus Arsenal in the FA Cup third round. Should be interesting at the very least uh, join me over there if you've got any issues email me chroniclesafc at gmail.com uh, and i'll be in touch uh, with all of you guys very soon thank you so much for your support as always and i'll see you next time goodbye i'm martin tyler and you're listening to harry Simeon.